Okay, if you would, please turn to the book of Ephesians. I'll be reading Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. Ephesians 6, 13 and 14. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all... To stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, true, infallible word to our souls. So, Father, through this word, your word, this morning taught, preached, and folded, Be here, be strong in our midst, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. To the glory of Jesus Christ, amen. We've seen over the last couple of weeks that Paul has been clear about our need to have the Lord's strength. Strength to stand and not be mowed over by the schemes of the devil and his demonic, unseen, invisible, real army. Satan is a liar and he hates truth. And Jesus is the truth. And He is the Satan's undoing. So this morning, Paul now tells us that truth is a key piece of the armor in order to stand daily in the warfare that Satan is raging against the church. Let's pick up where we left off at the end of verse 12. Paul says now in verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So the word therefore, it means what he just said, because of the unseen, invisible realm of darkness and demonic activity that's there to attack you, believers, therefore you better be dressed. You better be prepared in order to stand during this evil age. That's what I think he's driving at there when he says in the evil day, not, hey, there's one real bad day coming, get ready. It's this day that we live in. Now, just just for a moment, because in the English, it's kind of awkward, I think, at the end of verse 13, when he says, and having done all, there's a comma there, and it should be there, and having done all, comma, to stand firm. 
So what he just is saying here in verse 13 is this. Take up the whole armor of God so that two things. You'll be able to resist and you will be able to stand firm. That's what he says. It gets awkward because he modifies. How do you stand firm? Having done all. What all? The all that he's going to unfold. The whole armor of God. Take it up. Put it on. That's the doing all, and that will cause you to stand as opposed to fall. And so Paul delves into the specifics now of the armor, beginning with verse 14. Got to put these on in order to survive against the schemes of the devil. Verse 14. Therefore, stand. Stand, therefore, how? First, having fastened on the belt of truth. So, these pieces of armor that then, with the belt of truth and that follow, are the way or the means in which you are to stand. That's how you stand. By Fastening on the belt of truth. Now, literally, here's a wooden literal translation of the Greek. How do you stand? You gird up the loins, your loins, with truth. So, as Paul is sitting there writing, he sees the Roman Guard, soldier, over in the corner with a corner with a helmet and his sword and shoes on, and he sees the leather apron type cinched around the waist, and then it hangs low to the thighs, and that protects the abdomen and what's below that. Okay, it's a good thing to have when you're playing ball, or I guess fighting as a Roman soldier. He sees that. And he says, okay, that's it. This first main one here, truth, that's it. Loins was often used as a metaphor for strength. And he says, gird, gird up, cinch on that thing. You what? Your loins, this very vulnerable area, with truth. Be strong. Stand with truth. You cannot battle the enemy unless you are ready and girded up with truth. So now because it's 2017, the times in which we now live, we got to start at the basic, I think, with the idea of truth. Yes, Paul has made it clear there is an invisible world. And those unseen, demonic forces of darkness are very visible right now in the Western world. In the universities, in the pop culture, 
in this predominant worldview that is very clear about its disdaining and, and hatred for Western civilization that was formed by the Greeks, Romans, and the Judeo-Hebrew Scripture, New Testament, Judeo-Christian worldview over the last 2,000 years. Simply stated, our society is riddled with people who claim there is no such thing as truth out there. Way back when I was in college, a Jewish philosopher at a secular university wrote a best-selling book, The Closing of the American Mind. And in it, Alan Bloom began this way. There is one thing a professor can be absolutely certain of. Here it is. Almost every student entering the university believes or says he believes that truth is relative. If this belief is put to the test, one can count on the student's reaction. They will be uncomprehending. Huh? That anyone should regard the proposition that truth is relative as not self-evident astonishes them as though he were calling into question two plus two equals four. That was in 1987, 30 years ago. It is much worse now. Students, professors, neighbors, society, and many religious people are unified in their allegiance to relativism. I mean, so much so, I think this, if Alan Bloom were alive, would shock him. That they're even, not just on moral, what's right or wrong, relativism, but... Science itself is being denied. So what if the baby is born with male genitalia? Or female genitalia? They're not male or female. Objectively, that is up to them. As they will decide how they feel. And that will be their quote-unquote gender. Relativism... Contends there is no such thing as objective truth out there, apart from what I feel to be true for me. It doesn't exist. Therefore, there is no right or wrong. All the cultures of the world, they're equal. There's no culture that is better or superior to another. There's no culture that is worse than another. So those cultures who like to mutilate girls, women, in their genitalia, why is that worse? It's not worse. There's nothing, nothing exists that is right or wrong out there for us to judge. Or, or India, in, the, in their tradition and culture of the husband's dead, well then we will burn alive the wife with him at the funeral. 
Well, you know, Britain and their imperialism and colonialism said that's great. We got a tradition too. We hang people who burn women alive. And they stopped doing that. But who's to judge that that culture of burning women alive was better? That's where this moral relativism leads. This moral relativism, it is a tidal wave that is just rolling over our culture and it is taking many churches and professing Christians with it. That's why more and more of so-called evangelicals are being swept away on the issue of homosexual sex. The result, one of the latest polls, which I predicted a couple years ago, it was easy to predict, once the Supreme Court essentially redefined the definition of marriage, making same-sex marriage legal throughout the land, I knew this would come, and it's only the beginning of it. And that is, in the poll concerning the question of whether homosexual activity is sinful, no matter what the context, in the Washington Post article that I'm referring to, it said, quote, nearly half of younger evangelicals favor same-sex. Get a thousand of them in a room, 500 of them are for same sex marriage. Now, another quote from this article, and I'm going to quote it in a second because of two reasons. I believe it's true, it makes a lot of sense to me. And secondly, it shows the shallowness of the church on the issue of right and wrong and truth and particularly among the younger generation. And it reveals that we do not have our loins girded with truth. And it shows that the schemes of the devil manifested in the culture are hitting their target. Particularly the church. Here's the quote. When young people see an issue legalized, they begin to believe it must be right. I've got to read that one again. When young people see an issue legalized, they begin to believe it must be right. Like, I'm 21 now. Let's go to the bar and drink a number of shots of hard liquor. It's legal. Therefore, it might be, must be, an okay thing to do without asking about wisdom. Marijuana is now becoming legalized in more and more states. It must therefore be right. It must be good to smoke it, to get high, and to praise Jesus. Trust me, it's coming. Same-sex marriage is now legal. It's the law of the land. 
Conclusion. We, morally superior, evolved millennial Christians, know better than millions upon millions of brothers and sisters over the last 2,000 years. We know everyone should be able and affirmed in their marrying anyone they want, even if they both have male genitalia or female genitalia. And not only that, we should celebrate it within the church. That's the spirit of our age. Truth is relative. Culture changes. So-called marriage is changed. Therefore I, the new Christian, without the belt of truth around my waist covering my loins, I have changed what I subjectively believe to be morally good. This is the crisis that the schemes of the devil have brought to the doorstep of the church. And so now in our text, Paul says, here's the first piece of armor against these schemes. Be ready to fight. Be ready to For the battle against deceptions. How? With truth. Simply that. Notice how Paul has already used the word truth, aletheia, here in Ephesians. In chapter 1, he wrote, When you heard the word of truth, The gospel of your salvation. So there, concerning the meaning of the life and the death of Christ and His resurrection and all the implications He goes on to lay out, He says, right there, that's the word of which is truth. In chapter 4, verse 15, He writes, believers within the church, speaking the truth. Now stop. If you remember, in that context, it has to do with doctrinal truth. Speaking or holding to the truth delivered to us is what he's referring to through the prophets and the apostles. Holding to the truth. Now do it in a loving manner. And we are therefore to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, even Christ. And in chapter 4, verse 21, Paul wrote, Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as truth is in Jesus. Okay. And now Paul says, put on that bell of truth. He's clear. Paul is saying there is such a thing as truth. As opposed to what is not true out there. The foundations of that truth is God who sent His only Son 
the gospel, which is the word of truth. And so the gospel of His Son, the good news of Jesus Christ, is the foundation of truth because it centers on that man, Jesus, who is the embodiment revealed to us in this world. He is the embodiment of truth. So, and that's why Paul tells us, as those who are in Christ, we're to speak the truth in loving ways. And we are to gird up our loins, ourselves with truth in order to battle the schemes of the devil that constantly crop up within cultures and thus within the church. So, what is this piece of armor he calls truth? Remember, Pilate's snarky question to Jesus. The king, Jesus didn't say much to Pontius Pilate, but he did say some. And he said this, For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to me. Jesus believed, and by that I mean Jesus knew there was an identifiable body of knowledge that may be labeled truth. And His purpose in coming was to testify about that truth. Truth exists. Why? Let's start from ground zero. Because God exists. Anyone who is intellectually honest, including, and there are many intellectually honest atheists, must understand that if there is no God, there is no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as good. There's no such thing as evil. There's no such thing out there called right versus wrong. It doesn't exist if there is no God. There is a God. And God is the eternal, self-existing being. He is never evolving. He is never becoming. He is the eternal is. The I am. And since God is pure being, unlike us, we're derivative and becoming. He is absolute pure being. He is the essence of reality. Therefore, He is truth. And He created a world that is not God. And therefore, in this world, He is the standard of all that is true. As opposed to false. Got that one? 
This one God is a holy trinity. One eternal nature. One essence. Three eternal and co-equal persons. And the second person of the Godhead became a human being. And thus He, Jesus, is the embodiment of truth. That's why John chapter 1 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And why He said, Jesus, in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. He prayed in John 17.3 This is eternal life that they, Father, may know You the only true God and know Your Son, Jesus Christ, the One You have sent. If we want to know what is true, concerning the most important realities in existence, then we must come to know personally the Creator through the only One who is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ. And then the next step. He, Jesus, the One who is truth, He made it clear that the written Word, the Scripture, is true. He said in the Scripture, which cannot be broken, He means untrue. It can't be that. And I'm going to turn, if you either want to listen or what, I'm going to turn and we're going to go to Luke 4. Because Jesus in His humanity relates to us. And He girded His loins with truth against the schemes of the devil. In His temptation, how did He fight? With truth. Uh, With the written Word of God. Which is true. Start with verse 2. We read. And the devil said to him. If you are the son of God. Command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him. It is written. In Deuteronomy chapter 8. Man shall not live by bread alone. He girded his loins with truth to fight the scheme 
of the devil. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written in Deuteronomy 6. You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. What you said there, Satan, contradicts what the Bible teaches. And Satan took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, I can play Bible with you, Jesus. And Satan does really well at it. I'll play your Bible game. Psalm 91 says, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus responded, It is said in Deuteronomy 6, What you have just done with Scripture, Satan, is a scheme and it's deceptive because you don't take into account the whole Scripture. And you take that one and you twist it to try to mean something that it doesn't. It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The Lord Jesus himself was girded with truth. With the truth. That God revealed in Scripture. And Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them in truth. I mean, take them from the world, set them apart from the world in truth. Your word, he means Scripture. Your word. Is truth equal to truth? And so in writing to a pastor, Paul referred to the Scripture this way in 2 Timothy 2. Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling, unlike Satan, Rightly handling the word of truth. The point of the whole Bible, the point of Moses, the point of David, the point of Jeremiah, of Jesus and of Paul and of the Apostle John and Peter 
is that God has communicated to humanity truth. And He's done it in writing. Through men. Not just in story or or narrative, but also in clear propositional truth. Like what Paul, I mean, Bob quoted this morning. Statement. There is no other name under heaven by which we sinners must be saved. Or like what Paul said in chapter 1 of Ephesians. Here's a proposition for you. In Him we believers have obtained an inheritance. Because we have been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. That is true. Or it is not true. That proposition is Scripture. It is God speaking through Paul. It is true. Or when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died. For our sins, fulfilling or in accordance to the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures. And then he was buried. And then he was raised from the dead on the third day, in accordance with what the scriptures taught. And he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and James, and then over to 500 people one time. He appeared to me. That statement is false. Or, it's true. And this means, therefore, to disagree with the intended meaning of Scripture is to be wrong. False. It's to believe a lie. It is to deny what is true. It is to be tricked or blinded by the schemes of the devil. Listen carefully to Jesus on this subject. In John 8, he's confronting fellow Jews, very religious, these legalistic Pharisees who do not believe He's the one, don't like what Jesus is saying. And this is what He says to them. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in Him. When He lies, He speaks out of His own character because He is a liar and the father of lies. But because I, Jesus, tell the truth, that's why you don't believe Me. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. 
the reason, my dear fellow Pharisaic Jews, that you, the reason you do not hear my words in order to believe, is because you are not of God. Truth has been written down. It can be defined. Truth can be stated as this, and thus not that. That's what the Apostle Paul has been doing throughout this letter of Ephesians. I mean, for instance, one of the big issues of truth that, that he formed and brought up at the core of the Gospel was this, that Jews, as Jews, cultural Jews being Jewish, and Gentiles... As non-Jews, culturally, they are being united together through new birth, faith in Jesus, as one body. True! That's true! And so, and this was happening in the first century, his implication, if you deny that, and you teach, no, no, no. But those Gentiles must become Jewish in order to be saved by Jesus. And you are teaching a doctrine of demons. You have been defeated by the schemes of the devil. And the belt of truth is not fastened around your waist. The moral commandments in the Bible... They're rooted in God's unchanging moral nature. They're true for everybody. In every culture throughout time. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. Do not worship false gods. Moral commandment. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not have sexual intercourse with a person to whom you are not married to of the opposite sex. Or Leviticus 18.22 You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Or Leviticus 20.13 If a man lies, sleeps with a male as he would with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Or in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, starting with verse 9, Church, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, meaning 
heterosexual persons having heterosexual sex with a person to whom they are not married of the opposite sex? Do you not understand the, the sexual immoral? Nor idolaters? Nor adulterers, married persons having sex with another person to whom they're not married? Nor men who practice homosexuality? Well, not inherit the kingdom of God. Or Paul in 1 Timothy 1. Now we know that the law of God is good. If one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, or the righteous, but for the lawless, and disobedient, and for the ungodly, and sinners, for the unholy, and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for heterosexual sexual immorality, and for men who practice homosexuality. Or whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I, Paul, have been entrusted. Upon this word, Written outside of me, Joe LeMay, whether I like it or feel good about it or not, it exists and it is the truth. We are to stand upon it. We are to stand upon this against the schemes, deceptions, twists. Of the devil. If we don't, we may end up denying Christ. We may end up denying that His atonement atoned for the sins of everybody who would come to Him. Or we may end up like Eugene Peterson. Last week, if you probably, I don't know if you know the name, some of you do, you probably have that Bible translation of paraphrase called The Message. It's very popular in numbers of books. When he was asked, he, he's an old man now, he's in his mid 80s, but when he was asked if today he, he were pastoring still and he were asked to perform a same sex wedding ceremony, would he do it? His answer was yes. And I read his so-called retraction of that, and I read everything I could do. But what I heard, another thing he said, and no one brought up, was that when he was pastoring, he knew of, I don't mean same-sex attracted persons, he knew of persons practicing homosexuality within the church who had good standing as members and had no problem with that. Or we just may end up as the way I began this sermon is the 47% of evangelicals approving of homosexual sex within, quote-unquote, same-sex marriages. We may be like many pastors and local churches as a whole who fail to stand firm in the revealed truth of Scripture on many issues, particularly this very touchy 
issue of human sexuality. We quote from a brother in the Lord. I think it was this last week he wrote this. Last month, Stan Mitchell, pastor of Grace Point Church, announced his congregation's plans to move from Franklin, Tennessee to Nashville. Because he felt Nashville's marketplace might be more accepting of Grace Point's recent adoption of sanctioning same-sex marriages. Now, in this USA Today article where this quote comes from, there's another quote that is probably more disturbing. That this pastor, Pastor Mitchell, said, and that was this. There are pastors all across this country who call me weekly that are thinking the same thoughts. Trying to find the courage to do the same thing in evangelical churches. And so Paul's call to everybody, pastor, layman, church member, local churches, is daily, gird up your loins with truth. How saturate yourselves with the Scripture. Go, learn it, know it, breathe it for what it is. In its context, what the human authors meant in the narrative, in the propositional statements. That's what it means. It seems to be very clear here. That's the truth. And test All things, all sermons, all teachings, all books, all podcasts by the Scripture. Read it in its context. Pay close attention to what you read and absorb it into the bones of your soul. Prayerfully. We're going to to be slow through here, right? We know Paul really is wrapping all this armor up into prayer. It isn't merely one thing or another, or your head with this, or your loins, which it is being in communion with God over the truth. Saturate yourself with it. Gird up, put the belt on tight, so that you'll be ready to be ridiculed and slandered as a close-minded, hate-filled bigot that you are not. And at its core, since with truth, you start with the most essential. The things that divide us from those who are within the church and without. Start there. Be clear on them. Get your doctrine of God right. Get your doctrine of God's holiness right. Get your doctrine of humanity in its fallen state, sinful state, Right, so you'll get the doctrine of Christ's cross, of redemption, of His atonement, 
for our sins right. Get the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ bodily right. And thus, shall we continue in sin that the Bible forbids so that grace may abound? Get that doctrine right. And hold on in the days, the weeks, the months, and the years to come. Hold on against Satan's barrage of missiles that are blowing up our culture and taking out church after church after church. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for revealing Yourself through the prophets of old and revealing Yourself most purely and clearly once and for all in the person of Your Son who is the truth. Work on us sinners, Father. Us who are saints slash sinners to love Your Word more. To commune prayerfully with our hearts and our thoughts over Your Word more. To be winsome when dealing with the world of untruth in real human beings, to speak it in kind, loving, clear ways. Make us alive and make us courageous to the glory of Your name. Amen.